Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News show, soon to be known as the Get Eduardo Camavinga News show, as the teenager and his side, Stade René, continue to make 2019 a relatively miserable year for PSG. PSG were not the only big club to suffer over the weekend. In fact, almost all of them experienced something between the range of disappointing to disastrous matches, with the exception, of course, of Lyon. The Lyon of Silvino and Juninho struck hard again this week with a 6-0 win against Angers. We'll cover all those and more during this week's show. I'm your host, Pierre-Paul Birmingham, and today I have with me a, I imagine, very ecstatic, Rich Allen. <laughs> Hi, Rich. Hi there. Yeah, very, very happy indeed. And maybe a little bit less happy, Muhammad Ali. Hi, Mo. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, not too happy. <laughs> so, let's get right into it. Last night, on the primetime match, Rennes hosted PSG. It's the fourth time they play each other this year, calendar year, and Rennes won 2-1. Rich, can you talk us through what happened? How did Rennes pull off this upset once again against PSG? Um, first and foremost, I think they won it off by being very... I've, I've not seen a Rennes team that organised and that disciplined for quite some time. Um, they went out with, with the sort of 5-3-2, 3-5-2, fairly fluid formation that we have seen frequently from them. And it was pretty clear from the get-go that defence was going to be key for them. Obviously, it was it was against PSG. Um, but, they, yeah, they looked very, very disciplined, very organised. Um, they were passing it fairly confidently around the back. And then, of course, I incidentally tweeted about five minutes before it happened <laughs> that it was making me feel a little uncomfortable because... I felt a mistake was was almost certainly going to happen, and a mistake did happen. Um, a, a pretty poor back pass from Damien de Silva. Um, caught Benefiting Roma's to Edison Cavani for the first goal, yeah. Yeah, so it caught Roma selling out, and Cavani had a reasonable tap in um, to open <laughs> the score. And then you sort of thought, well, after all that discipline, all that effort to have thrown it away with a silly mistake, I sort of feared... You know, it was only 10 minutes before half-time. I thought, just please don't concede a second. You know, you could see it coming. You could see that, that as so many teams do against PSG, they play organised, they play disciplined. One tiny little crack in, uh, of an error and PSG pounce on it and then will punish you. But that didn't happen. Um, seconds, really, before the the end of the end of the first half and Bain Young um, scored an excellent equaliser. Um, collecting the ball in the in the penalty area, uh, and three brilliant touches to collect the ball, create space for himself, and then find the finish equalised. And you sort of thought, okay, that 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 puts a positive spin on the end of the half. Mm. And then in the second half, again, it was just more disciplined play, um, uh, but very quickly Ren took the lead. Uh, Eduardo Camavinga, and we'll, we'll come on to him later. Yes, we will. Um, <laughs> produced a, a fantastic deep cross into the into the penalty area and Roman Del Castillo who I think has has perhaps flattered to deceive shall we say since his move to mm-hmm. to Rennes timed his, his his leap to perfection and headed in the, the 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 goal to put them ahead and from then on in it was just an incredibly nervy um rest of the second half if you're a Rennes fan because you just felt that this you know wave after wave of PSG possession and attack was going to lead to something but sort of wasteful 
wastefulness in that final third from PSG meant that really, apart from a few nerve-jangling moments towards the end of the match where there was a few scrambles in the six-yard box, it, it never really felt as though that goal from, from PSG was coming. Um, it, it was an off day for PSG, but it was also a day where, you know, every Ren player, apart from that disorder, like every Ren player was on top of their game. And, and Camavinga obviously is the man that took the plaudits, but players like Jeremy Jalan had a superb game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought Jeremy Morel had a fantastic game. Hamari Traore, I thought Clement Grenier. Each and every player contributed. So it was, well, it was it was a fantastic performance. And to see them then hold on to the win, I think, shows a lot about how much Ren have learned, uh, certainly since the Trophy de Champion match um, a few weeks ago. Yes, from PSG's perspective, it's it's hard mode to dissociate this from their past kind of uh, Ligue 1 results, including last season. They've only won six of their last 13 matches, which obviously for a team of their standard, that's that's incredibly low. Where were they lacking on the pitch last night? And is it, have they suffered from the same kind of troubles as in their previous uh, disappointing results? Yeah, for some reason, I think their problem's a bit, you know, maybe mental rather than anything technical. Um I think first of all you can you can sort of write it off, um, you know, not sort of belittling Ren's great performance last night, but you can write it off as a bit of a slip up uh, from PSG, um, who, despite the troubles that they receive, they do still have the aura of just thinking that they can swan into any any game and and mm. you know their talent will shine through, and that's what sort of was apparent um, last night, thinking that after Ren had. Uh, uh, conceded uh, after that defensive mishap that they would just fall into submission and that would be that. There was no sort of urgency, there was no sort of determination um, right up until perhaps it was a little bit too late, you know, the, the euphoria of the victory coming closer for Ren in the, uh, in the last stage of the second half but I think the system um, is just not working at Paris it's very, very early to say that but there's just something, you know, something in the air. And you have to also remember, like you mentioned, that's only six wins from 11, no, 13, mm-hmm. sorry, six wins from 13 in league football since since that Manchester United elimination. And I was just thinking that there's overarching problems that need to be uh, resolved. Of course, there are positive points. I mean, you know, Cavani is looking relatively sharp, um, as always. Mm-hmm. Um, but defensively and through, you know, the goalkeeper situation needs to be resolved because right now, I mean, I'm not going to say that they're easy to be in the game. That's not the case. And that's probably not going to happen for a long, long while. And it could very well be that they soon regain the momentum. But they, you know, their, their, their mistakes, I think, are all entirely self-made, as was last night. So when they come up against a disciplined opposition um, who have watched them, studied them well, having played them, on three other occasions uh, this year, the third time in four months, when a discipline game plan comes along, um, they will be snuffed out. And later on in the Champions League next month and in the months upcoming, uh, when teams with you know far stronger setups encounter Paris, they might be licking their lips if this uh, doesn't. And sort of, were, were, were you surprised to see Paris set up in a in a five three two, which is? Kind of a new formation. I mean, they didn't they didn't use it at all during the preseason, um, especially against 
Ren, who have been a, clearly a tough opponent in the past few weeks, because you, you mentioned, you know, there's overarching problems. There's kind of, of course, the Manchester elimination, also the Neymar situation, I would say. They all add a burden mentally to the whole club, but there's also other other factors yeah. to take into consideration, like I mean, the fitness of the South Americans. Yeah. And, you know, this 5-3-2, which is kind of a strange choice, possibly. I don't know. It was a strange choice, but I think it's worth tinkering and seeing what system comes out. You know, mm. Tuchel is obviously one to play around with his side and, and you know, looking for, for a system. I don't think, and I don't, I'm not going to hold it against him for him to find out what options work and what doesn't. But they've made, we spoke last week, and I'm not going to go back on the words that we said in that they finally made signings that uh, they've been crying out for for a long time. Those are not the issues, but the ones that do remain, as in the players that do remain, are contrary to the problem. Um, Julian Draxler, uh, for one, who had another very, very poor performance. Marquinhos was uh, uncharacteristically uh, an issue as well. But there are a number of players there, and Thomas Munier also also counts uh, among them, who I think just won't cut it anymore um, or will need to improve very, very much so um, mm-hmm. because I think PSG are now perhaps looking weaker at any point than they did in the QSI era uh, since the, the early Ancelotti days. Quite possibly, yeah. PSG, of course, were uh, rich. They were bossed around in the midfield by a young man who we have talked a lot of about in the past few weeks already. Did you know he's only 16? <laughs> Take over our weekly Kamavinga segment, will you? Um, it, it turned very nicely. It really did. Uh, I mean, he, he was just terrific. We obviously mentioned in the podcast last week um, how well he played it in, in the win at Montpellier. This was just another level. I mean, to see him play as he did against that calibre of opposition, albeit, you know, an opposition that, that weren't at their very, very best, but still, you know, quality, world-class players throughout. To see him perform as he did at that age, and I won't say the age because I've said it too many times, <laughs> but at, at that age to perform to that higher standard it was frankly just ridiculous because, you know, he was he was creating space. He was making himself available for the ball when he had the ball he was distributing well when he couldn't distribute and there wasn't an option he was looking to take that ball forward and was totally unafraid to take PSG players on his passing I thought was fantastic there was one or, there were one or two blips along the way it was you know times where he perhaps tried to take a little bit too much on there's a few slips but I'm nitpicking to a, a minute microscopic level there because other than that I, I thought he was magnificent. And then, you know, to cap all of that off, you know, uh, it, when considering how dominant he was in that midfield with his with his tracking back, but also looking to move forward as well, to cap it all off with that assist for Del Castillo, you know, it was a wonderful, wonderful cross. It was absolutely pin-perfect to have been lofted up to beat the PSG centre-backs and find Del Castillo, who's not the tallest of players. Mm. Um, was was the icing on the cake? I mean, it's it's been crazy to see how much he has blown up over the space of of twenty four hours. Really, after that performance, you know, he he was man of the match. He's been in the keeps team of the week. Um, you know, there's 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 plaudits and praises for him 
all around. Incidentally, also, I have written an article on the GFFM website. Absolutely. Slight, I was about to bring that up. There. Um, <laughs> but he, he's now he's now everywhere. You know, all eyes are now on him. And so it's going to be really interesting, I think, to see how he can handle that. Because we have seen him perform against the calibre of opposition of Montpellier and and be be really, really good. We've seen him now do it against the very best in the league. And he came out as man of the match. So there's now going to be expectation on him as we move into you know mm. the next few matches and throughout the season. Well, and Julien what- Stéphane has said that, you know... He's not going to be playing every match because he's still young and he he needs to be preserved and and you know he's not used yet to playing at at this level at such a at such a frequency as as you know Ligue 1 and European Cups will demand. Uh, for Rich's very timed very well timed article, that's getfootballnewsfrance.com. Um, I wanted to mention Ferran as well. We I mean you mentioned it, Rich, of course, but I think. That uh, Nyang's goal was a truly phenomenal finish. He, I mean, he, the way he turned with the ball and, and and kind of shot almost blindly to the bottom left corner. It was it was really good. But of course, you know, some people found a way to to blame Alphonse Areola, the PSG goalkeeper. Um, Mo Areola, you you also brought this up very briefly. His his position seems more threatened than ever at this point. Even Tuchel came back on his word from two or three weeks ago saying that he couldn't guarantee that Ariola would still be the starter after the end of this transfer window. It, he's really not getting a fair treatment, is he? No, he's, yeah, he's not, he's not really getting a fair treatment, but I think... Um, um, I don't want to say that he deserves what's uh, you know, the position that he, he's in, but he's clearly um not at the level required i think really um yeah yeah i know it's a bit shocking to say but <laughs> i just think that you know considering what ps3 want to be and where they want to you know be viewed as and so having a super club with sort of the best in class in every position i don't think Ariola is up to it because he has looked relatively jittery you know you know he's he's not he's not the best goalkeeper in the league Mm-hmm. Um, he has had a couple of fumbles, and I'm not going to, uh, you know, pin, you know, the position that he had for Nyang's uh, shot and you know, being at fault for that because that was a very, very good goal. Um, mm. And I think it's unfair to pin criticism, but I do agree with Tuchel, who says, um, you know, like maybe we do need somebody else. Maybe we do need to sort out the situation because I did raise my eyebrows a little bit a couple of weeks ago when he said, well. Trap's gone. We've got the the young uh, goalkeeper that we bought in from Chelsea. Um, yeah, Ariola will be the uh, undisputed number one. Um, and I, I just think he's part of sort of the the group of young Parisians at the club, Mbappe aside, obviously, who have been elevated very fortunately into a position, but have really failed to sort of kick on from there. Kimpembe being the other, um, who have sort of stuck in a in a managed, you know, sort of, mm. not really so much decline, but not growing as fast as uh, everyone expected. And I realize if he's been back from Villarreal, what, three seasons now? Two, two, three seasons. Yeah. Um, and is he, can you say that he's a better player than the one that arrived ready for a number one spot? The truth is, is you know, he hasn't. He's not, he hasn't broken through in the France team. He is, um, somewhere between second and third choice, mm. um, you know, in, in the national squad. If you look at the clubs 
their PSG won the sides themselves up against, um, they all have undisputed number ones um, who are also number ones for their country, more or less, um, in, in, in every scenario. So to have a goalkeeper who whose identity is really, you know, sort of unclear at the club and the manager is toing and throwing between either keeping him or selling him or, or having him on the bench or something, it's not a good position to be in. And until that is decided, um, yeah, I, I, I sort of I sort of understand where the manager is coming from. And I, I think and I, I suppose if I was going to go say ahead, if, I, if I was going to say just jump in and and yeah. and, and and be a counterpoint to those points that Mo was that Mo was making, I think the key things to remember about Ariola is that I think consistently since he's come back into into back to the club from his various loan spells, I think he's been on a consistent basis one of PSG's better players. Mm. I think I think. Um, the mistakes he's made, I don't think, have been too costly. Yes, he's made mistakes, but I think any goalkeeper is allowed an element of you can make mistakes. And I, I think mistakes he has made haven't proved costly. I think the, the level of criticism he gets from PSG fans is completely over the top. Um, they seem, I think, those fans, and it's not all fans, but those fans seem very entitled and i think <laughs> they they have to see we've got well, to have if, a name we can't if, just accept that we have created a a good player we've got to have a name come in we've got to have spent you know x x millions of, of euros on a player bringing him in so i think the level of criticism he gets is unfair and as we all know goalkeeper is goalkeeper is a position where confidence arguably more than any other position is key mm-hmm. so if you've got a player who Everything he does on the pitch, every goal he concedes, things are going to be brought back to, well, he could have done that better. There's, there's, there's rarely seems to be a goal that PSG concede where everybody can be in unison, hands up, that was a great goal. That neon goal last night, people were straight on the case for Areola. No one was picking on the fact that, that Marquinhos and Diallo failed to... Failed to, to to dispossess Niang or let him have that space to take the touch to turn and shoot. The defence seemed to get off scot-free. Ariola seems to be nitpicked. And then, of course, probably the biggest problem for him is the fact that he keeps being messed around by his coaches. You know, if, I think if, that's the problem. It's there's he's kind of the current uh victim or or incarnation, if you want, of a persistent ambiguity at PSG, which has been going yeah. on for years, is that every goalkeeper gets questioned and every goalkeeper has their first place has their starting position threatened it, i mean it, he's had to share he's had to share the position yeah um for each of the last two so you know he's and maybe one issue maybe if you know if i'm gonna be playing sort of devil's advocate to my own words um that the reason why the position is that he's, he's not exactly been undisputed uh, number one that he's always had to share you know, play 20, 25 games or, or be, yeah. be kicked out of key Champions League games for. I mean, like having Buffon, who was clearly at the end of his career, come in and be told, yeah, well, he's actually going to play in much bigger games than you are. Um, <laughs> must have been a massive confidence hit. Yeah. Um, but I'm just thinking that, you know, but I think as well that it's just, you know, maybe... Well, I mean, yeah. where is the line, you know? Because it happened with Sirigu and Trap for a season. 
it happened with Sirigu and Duches uh, at the very beginning, if I if I remember correctly. Yeah. And you know, ob obviously with Buffon yeah. last year again. I mean, yeah, it, it's really something. There's a lack of of direction that has carried on for years on on that question in particular. I think, and it kind of embodies some of the other problems that that PSG may have faced. Um, PSG are not first of Ligue 1 anymore. That comes to Lyon, who won uh, on Friday, as I mentioned earlier, 6-0 against Angers. Uh, guys, let's start with your favorite goal, your favorite highlight from the match, because there was a lot of them. So we probably won't go through all of them, but go ahead and hit me. Rich? Um, I mean, there's, there, as you say, there, there's a lot to choose from. Mm. Um, I think if I was to pick a particular goal, it would be um, Memphis Depay with with Auer's assist. That yeah. dink ball, that dink ball over the top of the Angers defence, absolutely pin perfect. It wasn't a true dink; it was a bit of a scoop, wasn't it? He yeah, kind of, he, yeah, exactly. To, to, like loft, an, yeah. to loft that ball over that defence to time it right with 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 Depay's run, and then the finish itself, I thought, was really underrated. Everyone understandably focused on the hour pass but that that first time just as it came down sort of over his over Depay's shoulder that first time sort of cushioned volley finish I, I thought you know there's there's many many things you could have picked out from that game but that for me was just um encapsulated how well both of those two players played that night and this this season so far Mo do you have one for us Oh, Rich has already picked my favourite from that game. Um, but um, I'll go for the final goal uh, for, for Jean-Luca. Um, I thought De Depay's movement uh, in the box um, really tore Pavlovich apart. Mm. Um, and I think obviously preceding that even was a fan another fantastic ball from midfield. Um, so I thought the whole move was fantastic. I thought it sort of nicely, um, you know, wrapped up a very 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 good performance from them on friday night uh, i think you guys stole both of my favorites but i'll also mention i think musa dembele who scored two goals and both of them were uh, both times he had at least one defender between himself and the goal and he just managed that you know that small kind of footwork that allows him to find the angle to to, to shoot past the defender into the bottom corner both times if, if i remember that correctly um, he is really coming along nicely uh, as a striker for this team. So, Leon is top. You know, what has changed under Silvino? The fact that I think, he's not Genesio. <laughs> <laughs> I think what I what I enjoyed about this, and I think last week when we when we spoke about their game in Monaco, I think and I'm I'm happy to I think stand we by were... it that we, that that. that they were they were helped by how poor Monaco were, but I thought here Angers were poor, but the the, the football that Leon played. I, I I think the Monaco game, I don't think Monaco, um, I don't think Leon necessarily dominated and looked as though they were sort of playing with Monaco as as we saw on on Friday night against Angers. Mm -hmm. I thought Leon were totally dominant. The football that they were doing, it was confident. It was skillful. It was wonderful to watch, and I think that that's what I think made the difference. I think between this result and this performance and the Monaco performance, I I came away from that game Friday night thinking 
blimey, Leon are playing some really, really good stuff. You know, everybody seems to be involved. That sort of back line, um, there's obviously two new players in that back line. So it's going to take a few weeks, I think, for, for it to, to adjust and get used to each other. That will come. I think going forward, they're as exciting as any team in Liga so far. I think Usam Awar is playing the football that we've all hoped and expected to see from him for a season and a half now, and we're starting to see that. Uh, Depay looks back to back to his best. He's looking confident. Dembele is looking pretty lethal in front of goal. It's, but it's I think every the play- line, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I think the, play- the player the- I'd like I, the player I'd quite like to highlight is someone who. At one point, we thought wasn't even going to be in this team. That's Lucas Toussaint. Mm-hmm. You know, Janino pre-season was, was saying all these things about how Toussaint wasn't necessarily the right fit and everything seemed to indicate that he was going to go. But he stayed and he put in a fantastic performance against Monaco last week. He put in a really good performance against Angers. Um, unlucky not to get uh, an, an assist for... I think it was Dembele's first goal where he's really good through ball, just picked up a couple of deflections. But I'm really enjoying seeing him thriving again. I think he obviously he, he fell out of the, the, the starting eleven uh towards the end of the Genesio era last season. He's back in it now and he is showing exactly what what quality of player he is. So I think it's all looking good for Leon at the moment, uh, in terms of every player is playing their part to Arguably the best of their ability. Yes. Here's a stat from Opte Jean, who points out that Jason Denayer uh, successfully completed 100, all of his 114 passes throughout the match, which is the highest total for a number of passes for 100% completion ever recorded by Opta in the top five leagues. So uh, the opposition was quite bad, and we'll get to that, but I think that's quite impressive as well from Neil's new captain. Also, I think what we noticed is that you know, Silvino has convinced these players to defend and, and to be more rigid tactically. And I was listening to Youssef Kone uh, speak about it, who was who's the obviously the new left back for Lyon, and who said, you know, I'm a player I like who likes to go forward and so on. But the coach is very strict with these things, and he and he's told us to respect the shape and defend. And we can see that with you know, uh, Bertrand Traore is defending Bertrand Traore. And uh, even Memphis Depay was the player who who won the ball back the most often in the match. So that, that's a really a major change um, in in this team, I think. Um, Mo, a word maybe on on Angers because it was a very rough week for them. Obviously, they sold you know arguably the best player to Lyon, Jeffrey Adelaide, who who didn't play on, on Friday, um, and then they went ahead and and got you know I mean. Really, they, they played very bad on some of those goals. Yeah, no, it was a bit of a head scratcher that because, um, um, you know, Angers are really a normally resolute team um, who are disciplined, defensively well put up, and put up. And if they do lose, it's hardly going to be you know they, they're going to make the opposition work for it. Mm. So to be absolutely ripped to shreds um, with no creativity, I think they had one effort of note through Capel. Um, in the in the first half, um, and then that was that. Uh, they were they were absolutely ripped apart, and you know they've just now lost their their best player, who was in stands on Friday, to, mm-hmm. about to move to Lyon. Their 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 the defensive backline is a bit 
all over the place. Pavlovich, like I mentioned, only had an, had an appalling game. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's going to be a tough, tough week for Stefan uh, Moulin um, in sort of forgetting that defeat and geeing them up for, for the next couple of games. Because I think one, yeah, one thing we had for, for Andre was that they would play either not so much boring, but definitely pragmatic football. Um, and they were wiped wiped away um, by a Lyon side who I have to say were, were were comprehensive to say the least. They were they were incredible. Um, they were in communion, like the way that they passed the ball, they fought in defence and scored some really really beautiful goals. And it seemed like a very difficult week with the transfer of of Jeff. Of course, um, apparently there were some disagreements within the club at Angers. Of, you know whether it was really necessary to to sell him. Did they really need that money? And you know, parting with a player who seemingly was set up to be the key player on their team this season. And and Stéphane Moulin was extremely disappointed. He said, you know, no, I agree he compared it to grieving. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I absolutely agree because we mentioned two weeks ago that some of the clubs uh, who have been sort of in the top division for now three three plus years have to make a decision of what sort of club do do they want to be. Do they want to, you know, actually build a team and start fighting for places um, or high, high rank finishes? Or do they want to sort of, you know, be stuck in the same rut to where they're going to be challenging? And Angers are one of those clubs. They've benefited mm. from a couple of really, really shrewd deals, letting Moulin sort of build his own team and make good use of the of the market. The fact that, you know, they've, they've you know, made some really, really cool cool um uh, sort of players they've they've sold uh, players for relatively high fees they've mm. got a bonus of uh, 15 million from from the nicola pepe deal um as well so and not to mention there's a tv deal coming in um next next season so it's you know obviously 25 million for a club of Angers size where which is like i think 80 percent of their budget is not to be sniffed at um, but at you know it's not all about money, especially if you've got a good promise of funds coming in, uh, especially with funds that you've you know you've already been shrewd enough to include a, a, a percentage clause on some of these deals. So you know that's I, I, I definitely agree with Mulan. Um, they 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 if they're not careful, they just might be another inconsequential team in Liga. Yeah. It's um, you know it was it was a tough week for them and and as I mentioned last week I had high hopes this season and I mean I, I hope that can still happen even without Jeff and maybe this was just kind of a kind of a fluky loss and a night to forget and we'll see but of course it's it's always tough to lose yeah. so harshly at the start of the season. Um, speaking of 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 losing badly at the start of the season, let's let's move on to Monaco who. We're defeated to uh, away to the promoted side mess three uh, nil. Very similar scenario to what happened against Lyon, don't you think, Mo? They were awful, to say the least. The <laughs> Monaco, they were absolutely awful, and Mets were were really really good value for their lead. They walked all over Jardim's men. Um, Coad uh, was was brilliant. I think we'll get onto him in a little bit. Um, Maiga um, shielded them pretty, pretty well. Um, and Diallo has proven to, you know, himself to be really made for for, for the top flight, um, continuing a relatively good entry uh, into the top flight now. Um, 
really mm. took on the Monaco defence, and there were problems right from the off. They were lucky not to not score early um, uh, after um, Badia Chile uh, stopped stopped uh, a shot from from Diallo. Diallo could have had a hat trick in that game. Kohad was really really creative, and Monaco barely got a sniff in, despite having Golovan back uh, and also uh, Ben Yedder's, um debut. Um, they were really bullied into submission. Uh, Rich, Monaco had a little bit of bad luck with the red card again, arguably. It, it kind of feels like last season when they want, went on that streak of, of red cards again, uh, under, under Thierry Henry. But it also feels like they're not learning. It, it, I mean, is, is Jardim making the same mistakes as, as last year or as in the past few months? What, what do you think? Yeah, I get the impression that Jardim has learned very little, if, if arguably anything at all, from from what happened last year they obviously had a disastrous start last season they're having a perhaps a bigger uh, a larger disaster to that season <laughs> um but but look when you're playing badly luck doesn't go your way mm. and you know they they were obviously unlucky with the red card last week with with Fabregas against Lyon uh, I thought they were unlucky with the red card this week I didn't think that Aguilar's challenge to be honest, I didn't even think it was worthy of a booking. Um, mm. I think he was clearly going for the ball. Minimal contact was made. It wasn't particularly wild. It wasn't particularly studs up. So I thought he... And you see the expression. You know, he, he, he went through every single expression you could think of. of sort of <laughs> laughing in disbelief to anger to um, frustration to sadness. I mean, it, it was very unfortunate. On, on top of that penalty decision which gave Mets the lead and that handball which is you know it's the whole VAR issue of the minute it, yeah it's it's the rule isn't it if the ball touches the hand regardless of intention where there's the a few is, of those this weekend wasn't there yeah in, in yeah the and you just, and you, and you just thought yeah. that was sort of symptomatic of Monaco's luck at the moment nothing nothing is going their way um and you know they, they had they had a 40 million euro striker starting and you know you felt that Ben Yedder must have been thinking what on earth have I moved to because he had a fairly anonymous game I don't recall too many times where he he even had the ball I think there was a couple of moments in the first half maybe but he was anonymous um and, and they're just not got the quality of support with him with Ben Yedder you need that support you know he's a dare I make this comparison <laughs> he's a <laughs> Uh, he's a much, much, much better version of someone like Valère Germain. You know, you can't play him up, up oh. front on his own. He needs that support if you're going to get the best out of him. And I don't know if Monaco have the quality to do that. They have some talent out on the on on the flanks, but I don't see that they've got that quality coming through the middle. Um, so, I, to be honest, I don't know where Monaco turn. You know, they're, they're buying players. It's not as though they're not they're not making acquisitions, you know, they bought in Lecomte, they bought in Aguilar, they bought in Ben Yedder, they bought in, you know, Henry on, on Yekuru. Um, there's, there's players there that they're bringing in, but that defence just seems to be this, uh, certainly the centre of defence seems to be the void that they're just not paying any attention to and hoping that if they have enough quality further up the pitch, that might paper over the cracks in defence because as far as I'm concerned, and I know they, they, they have to because 
of just the volume of personnel. But as far as I'm concerned, Glick should be nowhere near that starting eleven now. Jemison yeah. should be nowhere near that starting eleven now. Between the pair of them, considering they were a league centre back pairing, league and title winning centre back pairing, the 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 sort of fall from grace that both of those have had has been remarkable, really, because they they are. I would argue they are the the, the key problems with that uh, that Monaco defence is that they've just fallen off the edge of a cliff. So they need to look at bringing in some quality in that defence because I don't have too many issues with the fullbacks. I think Balotore is is perfectly capable. We saw last season that Aguilar is more than capable at right back. But if you're going to persist on on keeping Jemison and Glick in and around that centre back area or just in front of the centre-back pair, which is where they've been playing Jemison, you're still going to find yourself with the same problems that they faced uh, on Saturday night against Mets. So well, I, think, I, don't, yeah. I don't think Jardim is learning, no, in answer to the initial question. Yeah, I mean, Barotouri was a little disappointing too on, on Saturday, and along with the rest of the defence, which obviously seems to be the main problem. On some positive notes, Lecomte has made some some good saves, even though he did also make uh, that mistake in in the first week on the Depay goal, I think it was. Um, I think Ben Yedder, I'm not too convinced with your comparison to, to Germain. Um, <laughs> and, and he does have a very good uh, record in Ligue 1 with, you know, with Toulouse of all teams. I think, am I wrong in saying that he was the top, that he's the top scorer in Toulouse's history? He must be up there. I think, yeah, he, he did, you know, score quite a few goals for them. Um, and, and kind of kept them in, in Ligue 1 as well. And I think, you know, it's, in first game doesn't necessarily say too much. Hopefully uh, it improves for him and for Monaco too. I mean, is it, is it too early to remind people that Monaco only saved themselves from relegation on the last day of the season last year? I think uh, we'll have to see how, how it goes from yeah. here. but. <laughs> Um, uh, from Mess, we should probably, I mean, we brought up Habib Diallo. We should maybe also mention Renaud Coad and maybe Sunzu as well. Both uh, familiar faces in, in Ligue 1, both performing very well with the, you know, the club they came up from Ligue 2 with. Yeah, no, they were, they were really, really, they were really, really good on Saturday. Um, Coad in particular um, was, uh, you know, pretty much a creative force, um, rolling back the airs almost, although I've Tend to forget how old he is, but I'm going to place him somewhere. Thirty-four, <laughs> I think. thirty. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he <laughs> he was really really good um, in in creating the chances uh, going forward and being, you know, a, a thorn in Monaco's side um, and deserved deservedly named team on the team of the week as well. Um, Sunzu and Maiga's partner as well, I thought were were really really good. And Mets as a whole, you know, can take, you know. Great pleasure from a very comprehensive victory against, uh, you know, a sinking side. And just one point on Monaco from me is that mm-hmm. um, I think they're in big trouble this season um, because they, you know, this is a continuation from last year where this summer, yeah, they signed a couple of players. Some are well bought out, like Benyeda. They finally splashed the cash, and there may be rumours of of a certain Mauro Icardi on his way. But Maybe. that was denied. Well, who knows what happens? But, yeah, who yeah. knows what will happen? I don't know exactly know what's going on there, but somewhere, you know, in that in that region, that's that name is still floating around. Um, but anyway, it's 
it, it's just you know I I think for me it was a massive mistake bringing Chardin back, especially without now that the the setup that he was so successful with in 2017, uh, Vasiliev and Campos are now gone. Um, Emanalo is also gone, but mm. you know, Chardin is not is not a one man band. Of course, some of the tactics he brought in um, were were useful. Um, and that he has, you know, done really, really well in bringing in developing young players. But again, it was more of a, a team structure in that Lewis Campos would source and develop a good network to to procure those young players, and it will be up to Jardim to develop them. Now Jardim is at the head of this, you know, function, um, and it's just not working out because they've brought in too young, too much, you know, brought in too many young players who are too young. They bought that too quickly, and they can't get them, uh, you know, develop them uh, quickly enough. And the, for the old guard that are still around, um, they're they're not performing as well um, as, as they did, and it's just a whole mess. And it's I feel like they've bitten off more than they can chew. And I think, you know, normally we see with clubs who who, who act like that, they normally struggle very very much. And they were lucky, obviously, not to go down um, last year, but to be bottom of the table with. You know, being beaten by the top, um, the side of the top, also by the side that got promoted by three goals each and not having a discipline, whether it was fortuitous or not, not having discipline to finish the game with 11 men should already sound, you know, we should already sound the alarm bells. Yeah. And I think the I think the guys from the previous show brought this up last week that it, it seems at times like, like Jardim is, is playing favourites with who he keeps on the team or, or doesn't. Uh, we got confirmation over the weekend that um, Yusuf Ait Benasser was moving to Bordeaux, and and Jardim, you know, clearly didn't count on him. Even though uh, my impression was under Henri, he was one of the better players for Monaco, uh, which you know maybe is, wasn't a, a very high bar to clear. But still, as you mentioned, you know, Jardim sticking with the players he knows, even though they may be past it. Um, Mo, let's stay with you as we go to Nantes for uh, the other, uh, well, I don't know if it was a surprise of this weekend, but it was a nil-nil draw. And of course, one of the big talking points was the penalty incident. For once, it's not about the decision of whether it should be a penalty or not. Well, maybe you could talk about that too, but certainly on, on who's to take the penalties and what yeah. AVB thought about that. You want to talk us through it? So yeah, um, so there was a rather fortuitous penalty, but I think as you know, fans will recognise uh, around the world, any handball can now be <laughs> flagged yeah. up, whether it was accidental or not, and that was the case uh, in Nantes on Saturday. So Dimitri Payet, uh, the ex-captain, is the regular penalty taker at OM, um, but he decided to let the new signing Dario Benedetto take a penalty. Uh, in his stead. Now that that decision was not communicated by the team. It was not set up, um, sort of, you know, talked about or developed. It was, and I think you could actually go back to the camera uh, pictures and see, a sort of Benedetto when the penalty was won, sort of moving away before Payet tells him, invites him to take the penalty, mm. um, and it was it was a lovely gesture. Um, it's exactly the sort of thing that you'd want in. Um, in what used to be an ex-captain, but uh, or what is an ex-captain? What used to be and the he, main he has captain. a history of doing things like that. He's yeah, very, exactly. Yeah, um, in that he wants to, you know, sort of share 
uh, but also enable other players who might be struggling or, or want to get you know hit the road very quickly to to open their account. So by all means, if if OM had snatched a one 0 victory, uh, having absorbed that pressure from Nantes um, via a, you know starting debut goal from Benedetto from the spot, then you know everything would have been fine. OM would have three points on the board, and you've got a striker who's already opened his account and ready to get going. Of course, he missed. He skied the penalty and. I actually found out today that it was our, uh, you know, our first penalty miss in nine years in in Ligue 1, That's which surprising, was yeah. very very surprising to me as well when I when I read that. Um, <laughs> but it is it's it's the first penalty miss in Ligue 1 since 2010, um, and AVB was very very angry um, after <laughs> that because he would you know he 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 uh, said that he had no idea about it and it's up to him to decide. Not for Payet to, you know, retrospectively decide. We also had this scenario last, year, uh, not last year, the year before in 2018, um, beginning of 2018, where Payet had squared the ball to Mitroglou alongside him, having been in the defence, just so that Mitroglou could have an easy tap in. And at the time, mm. Mitroglou was heavily uh, sort of uh, criticised for his his goal drought. So, uh, you know, uh, OM were well ahead in that game. So to for him to pass the ball and to celebrate with Mitroglou very very openly was a sign of that you know as a captain that he you know it's 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 it's, it's a good sign for him to sort of share the spoils. In in you know in the end on Saturday it cost OM two points. Um, yeah. and well, it was a barely deserved two points anyway. Um, <laughs> but it, and that's that's well, what it was. Would you like to comment on uh, on Steve Mondanda's newfound youth as well? Yes, absolutely. Um, You know, we've got Popeye in spinach um, and we've got Steve, Steve Mandanda in the captain's armband as <laughs> two things who, <laughs> that seemingly go together. Um, so Mandando at 34, who, well, uh, you know, most people have thought would be moved on um, in, in the summer period, has had his best game for, for about two years, I think, for OM. Made eight saves, um, especially there was a, a period between the 70th, 75th minutes where he made three saves in, in a minute from uh, Nantes front three, um, some of which were really, really good saves. Um, and it goes to show maybe he's not enough quite yet. Um, or maybe he might uh, you know, do a payette and ensure that he finally gets his place back in the France team, having been dropped earlier this year. But he was absolutely fantastic. He, was, he saved the match, essentially, for Wem, who produced nothing, absolutely nothing of note. In the final third to even trouble Nantes, um, so you know it was it was it was a point, uh, but it was down to Mondanda that OM had something to come away from um, at the weekend. Absolutely, and I think for me the highlight uh, for Marseille was the blue away kit, which I find absolutely tremendous, and uh, I thought it was even nicer yeah. before they added the shirt sponsor on the stomach on the stomach. Yeah, But it's really a, a a lovely Marseille blue. It really, really is, yeah. So let's finish up our roundup of the other Ligue 1 action uh, very quickly. Rich, what happened during Amiens Lille? Um, to, to be honest, it, it was not the most action-packed of games. I think probably two uh, brief things to mention. One being the results: Amiens won one nil. Obviously, with with Lille and their aspirations this season, it's a it's a it's a big result for Amiens, um, who I 
have tipped as a as a strong candidate for relegation this year. So a big win for them. But mm. I think the main thing I wanted to touch on here was was the red card shown to to Bubukari Sumare um, just before half time. Because quite frankly, it's one of the most ridiculous red card decisions you will see. Uh, Gail Kakuta has the ball. Sumare comes in. He's slightly from behind. Goes in. It's a controlled sort of prod forward, if you like, with his foot. And he doesn't make any contact with the player. He doesn't make any contact with the ball. And as he sort of follows through, his standing left leg, as he sort of moves it, because biology dictates he has to move that leg somewhere <laughs> it clips the heel of kakuta now kakuta goes down and he's in agony apparently and and without much hesitation the red card shown and you watch replay after replay and i can't fathom that how a red card decision has been made how a yellow card decision would be made barely even how a foul would be given um, it, it's a crazy decision. I don't even believe it, it went to VAR. So I, I, I'd be gobsmacked if that wasn't somehow overruled because it's not. It's not a red card decision. And another question mark over the implementation of VAR in, in France, I'm afraid. I agree that that one was, I mean, for me, absolutely not red card. But it does remind me there was something I meant to mention earlier, uh, probably when we were discussing Monaco, who obviously had two red cards, pretty harsh each, is that I think we've. it is something we often see at the at the beginning of the seasons in Ligue 1. There's often these kind of very strict red cards. And I remember reading a few years ago that, you know, the referees are told to, uh, you know, be, be strict at the beginning of the season to sort of set the tone for the rest of the year. So I don't know if... You know that's a very effective thing to do, but um, it does it might explain the train the trend that that we've seen, uh, you know, over these past first matches. Mo, talk to us about Brest Saint Etienne. Yeah, no, that was uh, a relatively action-packed game for a four-one-one draw, um, and Saint Etienne will be very very disappointed that they had to sort of chase the game for much of the second half and. It finally paid off because they ended up uh, snatching a point through uh, through Buanga. Um, it was they they made a good start in in the first half in peppering uh, the opposition's goal with a couple of shots. Um, but as as you see with Sanity and it's that they have a lot of promise and they've got a lot of you know really really interesting players. Definitely a squad that can finish in the top five. Definitely a squad that you can. You know, you you sort of pin your hopes on beating a newly promoted team at home, but they ceded a lot of possession and gave a lot of the midfield to to Brest, who were very resolute in the first half. Um, they played really well down the wing. Uh, Matthias Autre was a was a particular highlight um, in carving a couple of opportunities, and they ended up taking the lead. Um, in the second half, um, they brought or uh, well, Dennis Boanga basically had an amazing. Uh, second half, he he ratched up a uh, couple of shots um, more than any other player um, in in that game, um, and were finally rewarded um, sort of minutes from time where they snatched that that equaliser. But it's it's definitely a, you know very disappointing two points lost for them. Um, but it's still the early parts of the season. But you know I think it's it's those sort of games that you want to sort of go ahead and build some momentum, have six points out of six, and. And move on because you know they've got a couple of 
couple of interesting fixtures to come up, not least the visit to the Velodrome um, at the end of the month. Um, mm. So it's definitely an opportunity missed. Also on Saturday was uh, Ras Strasbourg, which was uh, the most uneventful match of the weekend. A solid nil-nil draw, but it was hardly going to be anything else really because, uh, I mean, Strasbourg manager Thierry Lore came to to this match wanting a nil-nil. He set up a very defensive, very uh, low playing team, which has always been the challenge for Reims, how to get around a team that, that defends so deep as, as Strasbourg did on Saturday. Um, and, and, you know, Strasbourg having their European qualifiers, uh, which continue, of course, on Thursday against Eintracht Frankfurt, uh, they decided to take it easy a little bit and continue this turnover that's been going on throughout the month. There were a few players playing out of position as a result of that. We saw Kenny Lala basically in midfield, but obviously, as you know, they were playing very defensively. I think he wasn't too far out of his uh, abilities. And uh, yeah, from Reims' perspective, as we saw also that it was tough for them to diversify the way they play. They're still looking for some attacking reinforcements and maybe be able to find solutions against teams that played like Strasbourg on Saturday. Bordeaux Montpellier, 1-1. Mo? Yeah, um, Montpellier will be kicking themselves um, from, from that result. It's a game that finished 1-1 also. Um, and for, for the Kashani watchers out there, he had a pretty quiet re-entry into Liga after nine years in in North London. Um, I don't think he had uh, a, a, well, a, a decent performance. It was very, very average, below average at best. Um, and Montpellier are going to feel really aggrieved that their profligacy sort of hurt them. They had a couple of opportunities through the board um, and Delors as well, who ended up scoring the opener. Um, and the second half sort of were unable to to carry on the momentums and allowed uh, Bordeaux to sort of get back into their game. It was when Josh, Ma- Josh uh, Madger ca- uh, came on and he ended up grabbing the equaliser. Um, well, they thought they had the winner, Montpellier, didn't they? Uh, from a very, uh, you know, dis- uh, contentious offside for what they, they thought. And mm. um, uh, in the end... The, the result was that. I think it's. I think c- cancelling goals from Suleiman Kamara should be illegal, <laughs> but that's too bad. <laughs> Toulouse Dijon gave a one nil win to Toulouse. Now I think we're often uh, maybe not too critical, but you know a little bit discouraged by Toulouse. They're not always the most exciting of teams. I do want to point out that the goal they scored against Dijon was, I thought, of a very well played kind of team attacking play. Uh, there was a fantastic pass to uh, Kouloures, who then found, uh, was it Makengo, right? Makengo on the edge of the box, who made a fantastic run across the pitch to towards where the Dijon defense had, you know, left a immense amount of space. And I think maybe also we can, uh, they were kind of under the radar, but the midfield trio of Sangare, Vainqueur and Makengo could prove quite beneficial to Toulouse. Uh, they performed well over the weekend, and I'm thinking that's quite a solid uh, Liga 1 trio with some experience in there. And let's see how it turns out for the rest of the season. Finally, uh, Rich, talk to us about Nîmes against Nice. Um, 
a surprisingly feisty game, actually. Um, ultimately, Nice came away with the win uh, and maintained 100% start to the season for, for Patrick Vieira and his side, which is obviously great to see for fans of, of young managers. Um, Neem will be thinking this was a big opportunity to to uh, to, to at least get a point. Um, I think we're all a bit concerned about Neem's fate this season with so many players having having left uh, over the summer. But Nice, as I say, Nice won 2-1. Uh, Cyprian uh, with a penalty and then uh, he created the, the free kick goal actually for, for Ignatius Ganago. Pretty, pretty woeful goalkeeping to be perfectly honest. It was a a free kick from sort of wide on the right, and it's hit pretty much straight at the keeper, but um, he sort of lacks the power behind him to keep it out. Um, so Nice uh, Nice were 2-0 up fairly quickly. Um, Neen managed to get one back um, just moments before the break. Uh, Renault Ripar with a, with a penalty of Neen's own. And then really it sort of all kicked off in the second half. We had eight yellow cards in this game. We had three red. <laughs> Uh, Racine Coley for Nice was sent on early in the second half. Um, Neem then had all that time with the with the man advantage, but just couldn't make anything um, come about. I mean, they did hit the woodwork, and then they themselves saw two players sent off. In, I mean, this shows you how how stop start the game was in the 99th minute. They lost both Pablo Martinez to a just a very tired foul. And then Anthony Briançon, I think, said something to the referee. He got an automatic red card. So very fiery for no particular reason. Um, but it's perhaps a sign of the troubles Nima are going to face this season and an indicator that Nice still have that uncanny ability to grind out results when it matters. The question for Nîmes is, are they going to have more suspended players or more sold players by the end of the summer? At this rate, it's hard to tell. Um uh, an unsavory incident during that match as well. Well, before the match, actually, which is why uh, it, it probably had fewer consequences. But it was a, a direct response to what happened in Ligue 2 on Friday. So what happened at Nîmes nice and at some other stadiums as well throughout the weekend was, you know, uh, the repetition of homophobic chants. Um, in response to what happened in Ligue 2 on Friday in the match between Nancy and Le Mans for the first time, a football match in France was interrupted by the referee and the league's uh, representative at the match uh, to tell the fans of Nancy to stop chanting uh, what they had been saying. Uh, a fairly frequent, I guess, uh, homophobic slur was, was included in their chant, which was directed towards, towards rivals. And, you know, that's something which we hear in, in a lot of stadiums in France, and I, I, I imagine that not, you know, not all these supporters are, are homophobes, but maybe they don't realize exactly that the, the meaning that their words can carry. And so there's a campaign that has been launched over the past few months at the initiative of the French sports minister, um, Roxana Maracinao. And uh, this was a big step forward in a way to see that, you know, the referees and, and the league were not going to tolerate that sort of behavior anymore. Of course, other fans have have responded quite disappointingly by continuing those chants. And, you know, we hope it doesn't get closed into a vicious circle where 
they I don't you know there might always be fans of course well you know deplorable fans who would seek to interpret a match on purpose doing this hopefully that never happens um, but that was the kind of major news from Ligue 2 in terms of the actual football Lorient and Clermont both won uh, to stay in first place uh, with 10 points each after four matches. Le Mans lost again in that match against Nancy, so they remain bottom with zero points. The big match on Saturday was Le Havre playing away to Lens. Le Havre got a 3-1 win, leaving them with eight points and probably some hope that they could be fighting for a promotion this season. And then earlier tonight, Auxerre hosted Guingamp with a 2-2 final score and a goal from Luca Do uh, for Guingamp, which is quite surprising because uh, he turned in his captain's armband over the past few days and infuriated the Guingamp president who said, you know, he's either never going to play again uh, for us or we're going to sell him. But here he was on the pitch scoring a goal. So I guess that's Indeed, good for yeah. him. <laughs> um, before we finish up, Shall we cover some uh, recent transfer stories? And Zonzi, world champion, on loan from Roma to Turkey to Galatasaray, correct? I think, has that gone through yet? Has it not? I'm not, I'm not sure on that. I know he was briefly linked with Ren, but that quickly died down. I think, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's gone through, yeah. He's looking to, uh, you know, he's been on the market all summer. He's looking to... Oh, he of... hasn't kicked on. Yeah, he hasn't yeah, kicked exactly. on after that World Cup, which is a bit disappointing. And now he's on the wrong end of of 30. I mean, the Turkish uh, league does sort of attract a certain calibre of player <laughs> um, with, with a point to prove and uh, a pay packet to boot as well. Um, so good luck to him. I, mean, I would have liked to have seen him back in France, Um if, if you know if, if it was possible, but uh, I think Galatasaray is um, is, a, is a is a good destination for him. It might um, be and tough. a relatively good fee as well. It might be tough to to get his team uh, his spot in the French team back. From over yeah, there, I think that that's that, that's yeah, that's I think never say never, but I think that's sort of done for for him. Yeah. Uh, Rich, you said he was linked to uh, to Ren at one point. Currently linked to Ren is is Maxime Gonalon in, in the same position. I imagine to kind of relieve the pressure of uh, Kamavenga by getting a more experienced starter in there. Um, how could that help Ren? Uh, yeah, I mean it's it, as you say, it's experience in there. It's someone who knows the league inside out. Um, not really sort of found. Um, found his calling since leaving Lyon, I think. I mean, he had he's had spells playing uh, for, for Roma and, and and on loan in in Spain, but injuries and just perhaps a lack of form has kept him out of of week in week out football. So um, I think he would be a welcome addition to the Ren squad. It's it's obviously quite a young squad, so that that midfield position would be useful. To, I think to add a bit of experience. Um, and maybe a little, a little more guidance, I think, for Camavinga. Um, a lot of senior Ren players have taken him under the wing, so another one can't uh, can't do his progression any harm, I don't think. Uh, do you want to talk to us also about the Ajax striker Dolberg possibly going to Nice? I mean, I don't know if 
he's I don't think any of us are that familiar with him that I know of, but Nice certainly need a, a striker. Uh, th- yeah, I mean they do without a doubt. Um, what will be interesting to see is, is is who they bring in. Obviously, with Jim Ratcliffe coming in and and a chunk of money becoming available for transfers. I mean, twenty million seems to be the figure suggested for for Dolberg. Twenty million seems to be the figure suggested for Jean Kevin Agustin from from RB Leipzig. Um, impression I get is that I think Nice would probably be slightly better with the latter rather than the former. I think Agustin. Um, I think he could actually work really well. I think under Vieira, his his attitude is something that maybe has let him down at times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Vieira is someone that can get him back on the the sort of straight and narrow. Dolberg, I think I think Mo had some interaction with some with some uh, Ajax fans or Dutch journalists was saying that I don't think Ajax would necessarily be sad to see him go. And oh, I think yeah. many, many, yeah, many would be sort of rubbing their eyes in disbelief that they'd be getting that much for him. I mean, it's, 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 he's had a, he's had a wasted or relatively wasted year or two. Um, we do remember that in 2017 um, that he was the next sort of big wonder kid, having guided Ajax to the Europa League final and scoring goals left right into the Dutch league. But you know, he hasn't he hasn't sort of kicked on, and he's been held out of place by uh, a midfielder, uh, Tadic, and yeah. um, um, and a very very. Um, not the rude to say, but thirty-five-year-old Klazia Nantala. Um, so that <laughs> that just sort of goes to show, um, you know, sort of what position he's in. But I, I thought that you know he he's a, he is a relatively good finisher, and he had he has scored double-digit goals uh, in the last two seasons for Ajax as well. Uh, the fee might be a bit too high, um, but you know he has played in uh, a Champions League, an ex- exceptional Champions League run. He's a title winner in in Holland, um, and in Nice is a, a place where you know players with a point to prove have kind of been rehabilitated over the last couple of years. You think of Balotelli, Ben Arfa, you know players who had their career sort of stall a little while. Um, you know they have to, they have done well, and God knows that Nice needs um, centre forwards. Um, obviously, I think it might help they have Augustin, who you know, sort of knows the league pretty well and has a a good profile to complement um, the, the attackers, the forward line that's already there. Um, but this could be the sort of the start of something new for Nice, um, especially as we approach uh, the closing of the deal and also the transfer window uh, closure as well. So it'll be nice to stock up with a, a nice front line and players with a point to prove because, you know, I think the, the sort of the team or the project that not, a Nice offer to a young player with a point to prove like Dolberg is that mm. here's your second chance and if you don't sort of take this um, well, when you do move or leave uh, Nice it will either be to a club of your choosing um, having played really well or it will be to uh, you know mid-table Dutch side or somewhere even more obscure than that because he hasn't kicked on and other clubs will take notice as well so it's it's a, it's a, it's a, for for the buying club. It's a good uh, sort of position for them to be in because they know that player will come, you know, full of hunger and ready to sort of hit the ground running. And of course, Nice uh, have had to delay most of their transfer business uh, because of the ongoing sale to to Jim Radcliffe, uh, the sale of the club to Jim Radcliffe. So we can expect them to be the probably the most one of the busiest. Uh, actors in, in the next 10 days before the window closes. 
you mentioned Balotelli, who obviously spent his last three years in the French League. I just wanted to point out that, yeah, he signed today in Italy for his hometown of Brescia, um, who just a team that just got promoted to Serie A. And, you know, I think that's a romantic move and I congratulate him for it. Mo, a couple Marseille stories here. Juan Miranda, left back from Barcelona, 19 years old, could be coming on loan. Is that correct? Yeah, so um, there are some reports that say that he might be signing uh, relatively early this week. Um, but there's sort of added complication in the deal that Juventus uh, want him um, and want to buy him outright. But the fee that Barcelona proposes is clearly <laughs> wild. Um, he only signed a first-team contract earlier this year and he's only played four times for the for the first team, three in the Copa del Rey and one in the Champions League against Tottenham, which was the last game of the group stage, so it didn't matter anyway. But he is heavily regarded, you know, heavily well regarded at Barcelona. He's touted to be one of the sort of best young players um, in, in in their squad, but also the one of the best young left backs in Europe. He performed really, really well in the in early European Championships to the summer. So for OM to be in that position um, is very, very good. Um, and OM want to loan him um, Barcelona are very keen to just sort of just loan him to a club where he can actually get good experience and then take him back because they they, they they do like him a lot they slapped on a 200 million euro release clause earlier this summer for him uh, whereas Juventus want to sort of nab him at a cost price uh, which doesn't sort of fly well with the Spanish champion so that's something that could very well happen and God knows that OM need a left back as well it's been three windows that <laughs> the club have failed to to sort of tackle that. We mentioned last week that, you know, not since Benjamin Mendy have OM had a, a competent start in left back. And Jordan Amavi, who admittedly had a decent game on Saturday, um, is has been relatively poor for a while. So it's good to have some competition for him. Another story uh, linking Marseille to Nantes captain Valentin Rongier. The question is, can the two clubs agree on a fee? Yeah, no. Um, the fee for that it's is rumored to be somewhere in the ballpark of fifteen million euros. Um, where Owen want to do a loan deal first, and then set an automatic option for next year to get around sort of the financial issues. Um, and Nantes obviously want to hold out for uh, close to twenty million euros. And Rogier wants to come uh, to Owen. Um, he he played relatively well against them on Saturday, but I just think that the profile um, that he brings. Will will crowd out the OM midfield a little bit, and I think that you know OM will realistically only sign him if one of Streetman or Sanson leaves, and neither seems to be relatively close to the exit door. Um, and OM are not guaranteed to get a good price for either now, now especially now the Premier League window is closed, because to have five midfielders, uh, if Rongier arrives alongside the two of them, Lopez, Gustavo and young Florian Chabrol as well, um, will really, really sort of um, cause one or two disgruntled faces on the bench. So it'll be interesting. I've always liked Rangier. It's just now about finding a space for him. But the fee seems to be uh, a good one. I'm surprised more clubs haven't come in for him. And uh, one last story for you, Rich. Bobby Chon from uh, Nîmes joining Angers earlier today. Yeah, it's a curious one. Um, I think it's a decent move for Angers. Bobby Sean, 
um, was was one of Neem's better players last season. Scored a couple of um, pretty spectacular goals, if I remember rightly, as well. It's another question mark, though, for what Neem are actually planning for, because you know we have seen a number of of high profile departures leave them um, over the course of the summer. Uh, and it really backs up the fears that that, that I mentioned earlier about Neem as to every you know we all loved watching them play last season. They were a breath of fresh air. They completely outdid everybody's expectations. But this season, I really just don't see anything but a, a, a difficult season for them. And I fear it's one that will end in relegation. And 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 transfers like this sort of only go to to firm up my belief that that's going to happen because. Um, you know they they have seen a lot of 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 key um, key members of last season's team go. Bobichon being the latest, um, so I've I've got big big concerns for Neem. And that's all for us today. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for coming on, Rich and Mo. Make sure you follow GFFN on Twitter. That's at GFFN, and you can also find all our news and articles at getfootballnewsfrance.com. Look out as well for the preview show on Thursday with Lewis McParlane and his panel, and we'll see you next week.